0: ministry made for ministry we're going to focus a few weeks on work and i know that some of you don't necessarily work outside of your home or you're retired but what i want you to think about is what is your job you still have a job right maybe it's job is taking care of your spouse or maybe it's taking care of your kids or some of you taking care of your grandkids right Think about the ministry opportunities that the Lord has put in your path. And so as you hear me talking about work, just apply those things to your work at home. There's others of us here today that sometimes we dread our work. No amens on that one? (laughs) You ever had some times where you dreaded your work, right? We're going to look at this a little bit today. Again, we want to focus on this idea of being made For ministry. So, this one is entitled Working for the Weekend. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. So, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, and Romans. We were there in Sunday school this morning too in chapter 8. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2, really familiar passage. Um, Some incredible words. If you'll bear with me this morning, I'm going to lead us up uh, to the actual uh, meaning from the text. We'll get there in a little bit. But let's start at least by reading the text. Romans 12, verse 1. Paul writes to the church. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want to put up a quote here for you that really summarizes the message. So you can get this and then you can go to sleep if you need to and wake up at the end, you'll be fine. Here's this quote. All work done well and for God's glory is Christian work. Think about that again. All work done well and for God's glory is Christian work. We're going to talk about the idea of Christian being used as an adjective here in just a little bit. How many of you work for the weekend? right? Do you know what day it is? What day is it? See, Geico has been doing their commercials again, right? Right. Hump day means you're almost to Friday, right? You're almost to get over the hump, right? How many of you are basically on Fridays, you say, thank goodness it's Friday, right? You work those days so you can get a paycheck, so you can go have the fun you want to have on Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday, and Monday holidays. Amen? We've all been there, right? We've worked for the weekend. We work so that we can have the money so we can do the things we really want to do. And what I'm going to try to encourage you today is I want you to pray your way out of that position now, that situation. I want you to try to find out is that you actually can work for Monday and work for Wednesday and work for Thursday afternoon. You guys are looking at me like, preacher, you are crazy. (laughs) But if you will hear the Lord's word today, I think you will see that in everything you do, even your Monday morning work or your Wednesday afternoon work, you can glorify the Lord and then you can find joy in that work. If If the Lord will speak this morning, I thank you. If you will listen, he will speak to you and you can hear what he has to say. Ronald Reagan said this, I thought it was pretty good. It's true that hard work never killed anyone, but why take the chance? Right? Yeah, pull up that, that's fine, Diane. What we want to talk about today is basically these two words, and I'm going to kind of share a little bit about my viewpoint of them when I was younger, and it's kind of grown as I've got older. And maybe you guys have already sorted this out, and this is something you've already figured out, but for me, it's something that I needed to really kind of go over, and it's this idea of some things that I think are secular and some things are sacred. Secular and sacred. So, have you guys heard those terms a little bit before, probably, right? Sacred, usually kind of doing with church, and secular, not about church. So, let's look at that a little more in detail. What makes something Christian or something sacred? What makes something sacred? What is sacred? How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you would say that the American flag is sacred? Probably would, right? If anybody tried to do something to that, look out of my way because I'm coming after you, right? (laughs) There are some things in our life that you honor in a special way. Does that make sense? I think that's an easy one to grab hold of, okay? Some things are sacred. The biblical example that comes to my mind is when Moses is at the burning bush, what happens? What's God ask him to do? Take your shoes off because you're standing on what kind of ground? Holy ground. So there is something special about that place and about that event, right? And because of that, you do something different. Now, this is a little penology here, so bear with me this morning. But I believe that a space, a place or space, is sacred when God is there. And I mean when he is showing himself there. God is everywhere, right? That's going to be kind of part of our message today too. But a, a space is sacred when God is there. But what I would say is not necessarily sacred when he is not. If God, when he, God left the burning bush and the bush was no longer burning, do you think the ground was still sacred? It held special memories, didn't it? But if God wasn't there, then maybe, maybe you're not. Uh, if, Back in, boy, it's been a long time now, 2004 maybe, I think. Uh, Wendy and Isaiah and Brooklyn and I, we went over to Spain and to France. And when we went to France, we went up on the Normandy beaches. And if you guys have ever seen some of the D-Day footage and the stories of that footage, basically the Germans were all entrenched up there and they had all their artillery there. I mean, they were really well solidified. And all these soldiers from the Allied forces, they had to try to go up these hills and get up over and conquer the Germans so that Hitler wouldn't take over the world. And they did it. But at the cost of thousands and thousands of lives, people would hit those beaches and they would get shot, and the next guy would go over that guy and keep going until they got up, until they conquered the beach. Well, we went to a cemetery at Mont Saint Michel on, I think it was a Friday night, but it was just, it was the sun was setting. And the lighting on all those different tombstones was so powerful when you thought about what these men gave up for the freedom that we have. Well, that next day, we went out on the different beaches, like Omaha Beach and the Normandy Beaches, and we saw these little kids just running up and down the beach, and they're running up and over these old artillery stations, and they're, like, playing Frisbee, and (laughs) little rabbits are running around just as, like, it was almost like it was like a beach. And I told Wendy, that it was kind of surreal because you knew that this was a place where people had shed blood for freedom, but the more we thought about it, we realized they died just so that this could happen, so that kids could run around and be free. So that's the example kind of, again, of what something that might be considered sacred or special I don't want to go too deep into this too much, but I want you to—I just want you to think about it. Just think about it. Don't don't challenge me too hard on this, but I want you to think about even the way we approach our worship with the Lord. On that same trip, Wendy and I, we went into a beautiful, beautiful uh, basilica—a fancy, fancy church that took like three hundred years to build. Could you imagine starting on something and your great, 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 great grandkids might finish it? (laughs) It was incredible. And we're all rocking around. Of course, we're doing the tourist thing and taking pictures and whatever kind of thing. And They wouldn't let you take pictures in certain places. And this one guy comes up to me and he kind of taps me and says, sir, you need to remove your hat. Oh, okay. (laughs) So I took my hat off. Some people were in there for worship and that space was still sacred. And some people were in there as tourists. Are you tracking with me? All right. Think again with me, just back to the burning bush uh, uh, picture just a little bit. Do you think Moses would be taking selfies at the burning bush? Hello? No. I don't think so. When he was in the presence of God, there was something special there, right? Now, Just again, bear with me for a second. Think about how our whole society, it's almost become a really big theme for our whole society to be Casual right? And, and I'm not, anybody comes in these doors, whatever they're wearing, the Lord will receive them, accept them. And I'm not telling you guys anything about where but what, what I want you to think about is it's interesting how things have gotten more and more casual. Are we becoming more and more casual in our approach to worshiping the Lord? Is he just a buddy? He's a friend of mine. He's the man upstairs. You hear people say that. Don't say that around your preacher, please, okay? Just telling you guys are my family. I could tell you that. (laughs) If somebody else says that, I'll deal with it. Um, When you encounter the holy God, the sovereign king of the universe, the last thing you'll be thinking about is taking selfies, right? All right, are you tracking with me now? Sacred, there are some things that are sacred. They're special. Um, This place, as the Lord inhabits it and fills it, I believe is sacred and special. But if the Lord's not here, then it's just another space. And, and that's in your preacher's thoughts. You guys can, we can discuss that later on. Some things in my mind are still sacred and I don't want to completely abandon that idea. What are things that are secular? What makes something secular? So I got a little definition. I'll read it so it maybe pretty small on the screen. Secular is denoting attitudes, activities, or other things that have no religious or spiritual basis. So some people would say that secular work is, is anything except for a ministry type of work. Have you ever heard that idea? Okay, so maybe you've heard the separation. We've hopefully tried to kind of push this away for a while, but there, for a while there used to be a strong separation between clergy and laity. Are you laity or clergy? Do you even know what that means? All right. Clergy is someone who is ordained. So they've been laid hands on, they've been set aside, I have actually been ordained when I was a young man out of uh, seminary. Laity is someone who's not ordained. So again, that kind of separation, okay? And some people have made, I think, a little too much of that, but that kind of gives you that picture of separation. What else is secular? So some people have been taught, and this I think will help convey the idea a little bit better. Some people have been taught that preaching is sacred, but investment banking is secular. Are you tracking with that? Full-time ministry? This is something that's amazing for the Lord. This is just something that you do to earn some money, to do the things that you want to do that's ministry. And I'm going to try to break down that idea today. Some people have thought this idea, serving as a missionary is sacred, but serving as a mechanic is secular. What do you think about that? I hold missionaries in pretty high regard. They're some of my biggest heroes. Is their work more important than the work of a mechanic? Let me word it to you this way. I think this will help you as well. What would you say is more important work? Is it more important to sing a moving song in a church service or to teach kids how to read at a public school? Which one's more important? It's kind of tricky, isn't it? If you can't read, you may not be able to sing the song, right? Let me give you this next one. This one's even trickier. What's more important? Preaching a sermon where somebody gets saved or fixing a car? Just a reminder about this last one here. When somebody gets saved after hearing a sermon, who taught the preacher to read or to speak? Who invited or made the banner or created the Facebook ad that helped the person know that there was a service to attend? Who else was praying for that person? Who else was praying for that service? Did the person happen to come because of the worth ethic, the work ethic of someone that they saw? A co-worker? And the funny one to me is did they drive to church? They might need the mechanic for the car to work <laughs> to get them to church, right? Are you tracking with me today? Go back to that first phrase again. Today, all work done well for God's glory is Christian work. Your work matters to God. All right, let's move on just a little bit here. Wooden plows. I want to give you this idea of wooden plows. There's a story here that's so good, and again, I think it'll it'll help you. If you're struggling with, you know, I'm going to work on 12,000 iPads starting tomorrow, and I'm going to get all these calls from all these kids who are supposed to do it e-learning day, and how nothing's working, and I'm going to have to mess with all that stuff. (sighs) Why do I do that? So I can get some money, so I can have a house, so that I can really do the important things in life, which is to come down here on Sundays and Wednesdays. Amen? You feel like that sometimes? All right, then you can identify, okay? Um, How many of you feel that what you do at work is just as important as praying, reading your Bible, going to Bible study, and going to church on Sundays? Again, when I really wrestle with this is when I was working over in Illinois and pastoring at the same time. It was really hard for me for a while um, obviously to me at the time it was much more important to preach from john three sixteen than it was to be deciphering a better way to filter the internet or fixing somebody's printer <laughs> the problem with the mentality of working for the weekend is that we devalue our work time and we elevate our church time or even our play time see that that's the issue we devalue time that really is valuable and we elevate sometimes that maybe is not as important as it could be. Again, that same mentality for us, sometimes it's work is just something I have to do and get by until I can do what is really important. But the scripture teaches us that all of life belongs to God. Briefly, Corinthians ten thirty-one. Anybody know this one? First Corinthians ten thirty one. So whether you eat or drink or whatever wh- whatever? Whatever you do, (laughs) do it all for the glory of God. Even working on iPads? Yes, even working on iPads. Even weed eating the ditch at the church? Yes, even weed eating the ditch at the church. Even cleaning toilets? Well, I don't know about that one. Whatever you do, right? That's what the scripture is laying out before us. There is an even bigger problem here, and this problem is, Is that we sometimes we separate the sacred and the secular at work. And I say I meet with God here at church, but God is not over there at my work. But the truth of the matter is this: God is at work. He's there. If we're there and we're filled with the Spirit, He is there. So we've got to do something with that. Again, a reminder that God is everywhere. Psalm 139, verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Verse eight, if I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Verse nine, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. The Lord is at work everywhere. Tracking with that? I think you are, all right? Sometimes, again, we have separated the sacred and the secular so that it has created an unnecessary divide. Again, there are places where we do need to hold things sacred. And there are places, things that are just, they're not of the same value as other things. But, there are a lot of things that we do on a regular basis that the Lord has called us to do that are of value regardless if we label them as sacred or secular. Dr. Lewis Meads writes in one of his early years in the faith, a turning point came to him as a freshman at Calvin College. I think that's, by the way, the school where Sophia is going. Uh, Sindhu Minnie's daughter. The first class of the first day of my first semester was English composition. The teacher was Jacob Vandenbosch. He introduced me that day to a God the likes of whom I had never even heard about. A God who liked elegant sentences and was offended by dangling modifiers. Once you believe this, where can you stop? If the maker of the universe admired words well put together, think of how he must love a sound thought well put together. And if he loves sound thinking, how much he must love a Bach concerto. And if he loves a Bach concerto, think of how... He prized any human effort to bring a foretaste, be it ever so small, of his kingdom of justice and peace and happiness to the victimized people of the world. In short, I met the maker of the universe who loved the world he made and was dedicated to its redemption. And I found the joy of the Lord not at prayer meeting, but in English Composition 101. Because that teacher saw value that honored God in his work. Are you tracking with that? Oh, all right. Again, some other ideas that hopefully will help us today. This is a tricky one. Can a secular song give glory to God just as much as a Christian song, preacher? Now, be careful. Which is more glorifying to God—one of Bach's concertos or just a little talk with Jesus makes it right? Hmm. You guys are awfully quiet. What is more God honoring, one of Monet's paintings or the picture of Jesus that you see in many small churches on the side wall? Where is a better place to meet with God, on the blue pew on Sunday morning or in the Rocky Mountains on a Friday evening sunset? See, everybody's about ready to leave, aren't you? Let's get out and go hiking or fishing or sleep in, right? Think with me here. Hang on. The problem is that we, the church, have said God is here, but God is not there. God is only in the sacred, but he's not in the secular. God is here, but he's not at my workplace. One result of this is that we get the mentality that people have come to church to find God instead of showing them God where they are. You can only find God if you come here. No, 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 no. We've got to take God with us where we go, right? Right? So some people we force on some the understanding that this idea of Christian music is the only music, or Christian art is the best art, or Christian t-shirts are the best shirts, or a Christian dentist is the best dentist. Well none of these things are necessarily true. Christian makes a great noun but a lousy adjective. Are you tracking with me? Be careful, just because you throw Christian on something doesn't always make it best. And so what I hope that you're going to find in the next few weeks is that God is in the secular things and God is at work. And what we need to do, this is really huge, what we need to do is honor God with all of our lives, not just the Sunday morning part of them. Robert gave me a book earlier this year, really good about stewardship, and that's the whole point. Everything that we have is God's. So we need to honor God with all of our resources, all of our stuff, all of our time, not just 10%. It's all God's, and God is at work everywhere. What did Jesus do with work? Now, this is good. Think about this for a second with me. One interesting scene in the Passion of the Christ movie shows Jesus finishing a table. Remember, he was a what? He was a part-time preacher. He was a carpenter, right? Jesus is depicted as having a commitment to putting out an excellent product. As a carpenter, he spent many long hours and years doing manual work in a wood shop. His work had to be of the highest quality. The Christian apologist, an early church father by the name of Justin Martyr, made a revealing observation about Jesus' work. During Martyr's life in 2nd century Galilee, so about 100 years after Jesus, he saw farmers still using plows made by the Lord. Theologian Oz Guinness writes, how intriguing to think of Jesus' plow rather than his cross to wonder what it was that made his plows and yokes last and stand out. Today, Christians typically exalt spiritual work above manual work. After all, what's making a plow compared with preaching to the multitudes and feeding the 5,000 or raising someone from the dead But the very fact that Jesus did make plows and made them well suggests that any work can be done to the glory of God. Any work can be a genuine calling. A calling, Mr. Guinness writes, is anything we do as a response to God's summons and service. When God calls us to some task, even if it is something the world sees as lowly, that task is invested with what Guinness calls the splendor of the ordinary. Drudgery done for ourselves or for other human audiences will always be drudgery, he writes, but drudgery done for God is lifted and it is changed. If you are frustrated in your job or think the work you have to do is beneath you, just remember that for a season, the one who turned water into wine and raised the dead to life also made wooden plows. (laughs) Can you drive a truck to the glory of God? You better believe you can. Can you pull teeth to the glory of God? Well, I'm very thankful for people that do that, especially if they have a a gentle touch, right? (laughs) Yeah. Can you help somebody get back on their feet and all the pain they have to go through in physical therapy in order to get the healing that they need? Can you do that to the glory of God? Amen. If it is your calling, if it is your place, and God has put you in that place, if you will do it for his glory, then it is work that matters to God and he can use it. You can find a rewarding life in and through your work if you'll seek God with all of your life and all of your heart. And it starts where we want to start today and that's in Romans 12, one and two. Living sacrifices. You guys probably know these passages by heart. Romans chapter 12, verse one, the scripture says, therefore, I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. If you are going to make a difference in your workplace, you've got to be a living sacrifice. You guys know the old joke, right? What's the problem with living sacrifices? They get up off the altar, (laughs) right? In view of God's mercy, anybody here experience the mercy of God? We should stop here probably and go over about two hours about all the blessings that we have today, right? In light, Paul says, in light of God's, if you have received God's mercy, if you have benefited in any way from God's mercy, then this is your response. In view of God's mercy, offer your body as a living sacrifice. Not just your physical body, but all of you. Everything you have and you are. Not just the sacred part of you. Not just the Sunday morning or Wednesday part of you. Not just the part that reads the Bible or goes to church or puts money in the offering plate, but all of you. The part of you that works 40, 50, and 60 hours a week. The part of you that plays ball with your kids. The part of you that likes to go fishing or shopping or take a lazy Sunday afternoon nap. All of you, God wants all of you. Give it to him. It can all be for his glory if you'll be led by his spirit. That's what we are seeking after. The Lord wants all of you as a living sacrifice. He wants control of your life. You give God control by living a holy life, by living in a way that pleases him. Again, I wish I could just take Todd's Sunday school lesson and drop it on you again, because this is exactly what we're talking about. Be led by that Holy Spirit, Seek to please him, and in all of your life, you will glorify the Lord. The scripture says, the NIV says, this is your reasonable act of service or spiritual act of worship. Now, think about this with me just for a second, okay? Again, take it for what it's worth, but hang in there. Pleasing God by playing with your kids can be just as important as praying in the sanctuary while soft music is playing in the background. If that's what God wants you to do at that time. One of the hardest things to do as a minister is to know somebody that you love in your church family is ill or sick or in the hospital, and you think, I need to go be with them. But your kids are doing something like playing ball or practicing or doing something. You're like, I need to be with them, (laughs) trying to decide what to do, right? That's why we have to be led by the Spirit. Because only the Spirit's going to help me to make that decision on that day to do what's That's why God can really do amazing things at work. Because if God is with you at work and that's where you're supposed to be and that time and that day you're speaking the words that he's led you to speak, guess what? He may do much more transformative things in your workplace than in there than he ever would with you just sitting on a pew on a Sunday morning. Now, by the way, I think God wants you sitting at a pew on a Sunday morning (laughs) and going downtown helping out homeless people on a Sunday afternoon from time to time. The Lord's leading in those things too. The point is we've got to follow his lead. We've got to keep in step with his spirit wherever we are. Again, I hope you understand this word. I am not by any means lowering the importance of worship and church attendance. I'm the preacher. I want you guys here every time the doors are open if you can be here. But I'm trying to get you to see that everything in your life matters to God. We need to live out God's will. This teaching can be uh, dangerous if it's abused, but you guys know the truth here. Just briefly, just a reminder, is it God's will for us to meet together? Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25, the scripture says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So God's will is there too, okay? Bear with me there. Now others might say, well, I can just please God by watching TV for six hours a day. Um, In just a few weeks, we're going to talk about that one, a different message, all right? So how do we determine how to live a holy life? Isn't that the question? How do we determine what pleases the Lord? How do we know what is God's will? Well, look at verse 2. The Lord didn't have to go very far to get it set out straight. And We see a radical transformation that happens when you make yourself a living sacrifice. This is how it happens in verse 2. We see how the Lord makes the process come together. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but... Be, See that? But be transformed. That's passive. By the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Am I supposed to go see Vicki in the hospital? Or am I supposed to go spend some time in Brooklyn? I need to know God's will. How do I know that? Verse 2. You guys had the same decisions this week, right? I need to go help my friend, but my water heater is broken. <laughs> what do I work on? I need to stay after school, but I need to go to the jail. You guys have all the same kind of decisions, right? You're trying to sort out, what do I do in that situation? We need to know the Lord's will. And verse two is the way to do that. First off, do not conform to the world's pattern. If you conform to the world's mold, the world's pattern, then you're going to have those same results and you're always going to choose you instead of choosing the Lord. What what kind of molds do you have in your world? Do you like those little jello molds? Like, you know, you let the jello put in, you turn over, you can make it anything, right? You can make Easter eggs, you can make race cars, you can make all things. That jello, it conforms to that mold, doesn't it? What's the mold of the world? I'm gonna take care of me. I'm on 465, and this is my lane. Don't you get in my lane. I'm gonna take care of me, right? Uh, yeah, my french fries are cold, and I ordered hot french fries. You better get them to me right now, ASAP. I'm going to take care of me. I'm going to take care of mine, and I'm number one. And that's what the world says. You do that, and then that's what the world says to do. That's how you conform. Are you conforming to the world? Guess what? Are you going to be able to make the decision about God's will if you're conformed to the world? It's not going to happen. So in order to not conform to the world, what do you have to do? You have to transform your mind. And here's what I want you to take care of because I just said it wrong. You guys didn't even correct me. You don't transform your mind. You need to have your mind transformed. But be ye transformed, right? It's passive. The Lord does the transforming. We have to do the submitting. God, I hate my job. <laughs> I want to just make some money so I can go do fun stuff on the weekend. You're going to have to change my heart. And you're going to have to change my mind so I can enjoy and see what I'm doing, how it benefits your kingdom. You've got to help me do that. And maybe you're not even in the right job. You have to seek the Lord to know those decisions. God wants you to have that transformation. He wants you to be transformed. And that happens by the renewing of your mind. Here this morning, hear me closely. If you are filling your mind with mindless drivel, you will not be transformed. If that's all you're about is mindless things. I... Pulled it out, and I'm going to have to put it back in because I wanted to read it to you. This is Philippians chapter 4, and a reminder about what's important. What should we be thinking about? What should be on our heart and our mind? Paul says to the Philippians, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. If you're going to renew your mind... You've got to not conform to the world, allow the Lord to do the transforming work, and your mind has got to be on the things uh, that are pleasing and good and perfect. So briefly today, in order to determine God's will, you need to renew your mind by filling it with the good things. And I want to ask you today, can you see the beauty that God has placed in your life? Can you see the beauty in your work? <laughs> can you look at a cracked iPad screen or the 300th cracked iPad screen <laughs> and see that there's an opportunity there to honor God in your work. One reason why it's so good to come to church and it's good to read your Bible and it's good to pray is because it helps you renew your mind. And doing these things will help us make better decisions. When you know, and you guys have heard me say this a hundred times, when you know what God loves and when you know what God hates, then you'll be able to please him in your decision-making. But how are you going to do that if you don't know the Lord? you got to know the Lord to know what he loves and know what he hates. And if you're not chasing after him to know who he is, you're not going to know what he loves and hates, and you're not going to be able to make the decisions you need to make. If you're chasing after the Lord and you're getting to know him better and you're in his word and you're understanding how he makes choices and what's pleasing to him, then all of a sudden you know what's pleasing, and you can make those decisions that will honor God. It will help you make those decisions, should I go visit this person or be with this friend. It'll also help you when you're tempted to do something that might be just a little shady. Should I bend the rules at work to get an advantage or should I do the right thing even though I may not get credit and I may even get criticized? Again, will we stop conforming to the world's way of thinking and start renewing our minds? If we will, we'll please God even at work. All right, I'm gonna close with this illustration. We'll be done today. You guys ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire? This guy, he's a runner, Right? Think about this for a second as we wrap up. Again, think about your work and the work the Lord has given you and how can you glorify him in it. Uh, this is uh, from Colin Welland. Many of you have probably heard of the movie Chariots of Fire, the true story of two British runners competing in the 1924 Olympics. Eric Liddell is a devout Christian and one of the finest runners in the world. Eric's sister, Jenny, wants him to leave competitive running to join the family on the mission field in China. Sacred, secular. Well, obviously the mission field is more important than running, right? Jenny feels Eric is putting running ahead of serving God, and she questions his commitment. In one scene, Eric attempts to help his sister see his point of view. Eric announces with a smile, I've decided I'm going back to China. The missionary service has accepted, Jenny interrupts him. Oh, Eric, I'm so pleased. Eric continues, (laughs) but I've got a lot of running to do first. Jenny, you've got to understand, I believe that God made me for a lot of purposes for China, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Look at this. To give it up would be to hold him in contempt. (laughs) That's awesome. You were right. It's not just fun to win, it's to honor him. What did God make you for? God did not make me to be a mechanic. Whew, <laughs> so if I try to be a mechanic, I'm probably not going to honor the Lord much. But guys like Robert and John, God gave them ability to do some great things with cars, and they can use that to his glory, right? God definitely did not make me a barbecue smoker maker. God didn't put me in a bank, and he didn't make me a physical therapist, and he... Didn't make me a soldier, although I think I would like to have tried to be a soldier, but I didn't have opportunity. God didn't have me cleaning hospital rooms. But God has put you some of those places, hasn't he? And at least for now, for this time, he has you there. What are you going to do with the time you've given? Are you just going to work for the weekend? Are you going to look for an opportunity to glorify God in the work, with the gifts he has given you, that his name will be praised, and you'll be filled with incredible joy? God is at work. God loves what the missionary is doing in the heart of unbelieving nations. He also loves what the living sacrifice is doing when she pours another cup of coffee at McDonald's. Amen? The point is this. Are you living God's will in every day, or are you just working for the weekend? Let's stand this morning. I hope that the Lord will touch your heart today and just really remind you of the, the great blessing that you have, that he has given you gifts and health and opportunity, and that as sometimes as much a struggle as it is for all of us, that we would pray while we're at work that God would guide us to how our work can be honoring and fulfilling to him. I'm gonna go again today and play from the piano. And while I play, if you want to stay in your seat there and pray, that's fine. If you'd like to come forward and pray, And feel free to grab a friend if you want. Don't have to come by yourself and come down and just pray and say, Lord, uh, you know I struggle with my work. And a lot of times I just set that as something i got to do to make a paycheck. And God is encouraging you today that he's got more for you than that. And if you want to come forward today as well, you're welcome to pray. Let's take a little time this morning and let's seek the Lord together.